book of Exodus chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27. The title of it is called The Bitter Waters of Marah. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. By the way, if you need a healing here today, I feel like the Lord is going to be healing some people. Uh, you do not have to wait to the end of the service to receive from God. If you believe God is moving on you, try to do something you couldn't do before. It's not people that heal, it's God that heals. And uh, he many times uses us, but sometimes he just decides he wants to do it on his own. And he is God. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? But I think it's important to, to let you know this. I felt like the Lord wanted me to share that with you. So when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. That, that just means it, it wasn't like some of these packets that you put in water to keep the taste away from the water. No, he didn't make it into uh, Kool-Aid or something. It just means it was no longer bitter. There was a time when people liked drinking water. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm streams, and they encamped there by the water. So after just kind of by way of introduction, after God led Abraham a long time ago, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, you know, God led him out of his land into a land that God would show him. It ended up being the land of Canaan. And when he was in the land of Canaan, God made him a promise in Genesis 15. It says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. He's talking about Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, Abram, that you are presently walking. So in keeping with his promise, uh, 400 and something years later, God called and sent Moses to bring the Israelites, just as God had said. They went into, they went into Egypt. Uh, eventually, over time, they, became, they, they went in as guests, they came out as slaves. Uh, that's where they ended up. God called a man by the name of Moses, sent him to bring them out. And in our text, after they were delivered from Egypt, you know the story, 10 plagues, Charlton Heston, you know, you know. Okay, came through the Red Sea, um, let my people go. Well, uh, they came out of uh, the Red Sea, and the first place they came to on their journey is this, our text. It's a place called Mara. So uh, first, we're going to uh, uh, begin and take a series of points. first point we want to look at is called the people's reaction. And again, our text, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Sometimes, uh, well, let me finish. When they came to Mar, they could not drink because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mar. Now, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes, and I'm not just talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians as well. We have a fallacy sometimes of thinking that um, 
that if you're a Christian, nothing is going to go bad in your life. And the reality is God never promised that. What God did promise is that he would be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He also gave us the opportunity to be able to come to him to help us through whatever situation we're in. Sometimes, I like it when God does this, he takes us around the problem. The problem with that is we never knew there was a problem because he just eliminated the problem from our lives, right? So how can you give glory to God for something you weren't aware of? But sometimes we go through problems. And when we go through the problem, Psalms 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We recognize that God is with us. We recognize God's leadership. As long as we don't get our eyes off the Lord and we keep our eyes focused on God, God will bring us through whatever problem, whatever storm, whatever situation we're in, God will bring us through. You might say to yourself, no, that's not true. I've had people in my life that have died. Well, God can bring you through that too because we have a great hope. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. This is not all there is. This is not eternity. Some people want to eliminate God from the equation because they want to make this life all there is because if they can make this life all there is and have no eternity, then they can do whatever they want. And it justifies their greed and their corruption and all the things that they do. But when you believe in a God that is judged, but he's also good, then you want to live in a way that is pleasing to God because we know that this is not eternity. There is another place called eternity, but we get to participate in eternity now when we come into a relationship with the eternal one. So I live life today based on the eternity that's coming, right? Because I know that what I do now will affect my future. Well, anyway... As we go through life, we go through struggles, we go through temptations, we go through testings, we go through all these things. And we encounter troubling circumstances and difficult situations. In this case, the Israelites, who are the people of God, by the way, and so we'll keep it within this context, had come out of a period of time where they had been enslaved to the Egyptians. God, now listen, I, 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 we don't want to go back and talk about all the dynamics of slavery, but I just want you to know that's not never a good thing. It's difficult. You don't get to eat anywhere you want to. We complain because there's only three fast food restaurants in town. But you don't realize what it is to not have a choice. Not only to what you're going to eat, but whether or not you're going to eat. You don't, really, you don't have a choice whether or not you want to go to this doctor or that doctor or the doctor in Houston. I don't like my hospital here. A lot of talk to a lot of people. They don't like this hospital in town. They go all the way to Houston. What you don't realize is that some people never had health care. They don't have hospitals. They don't have any of that. You don't know what it is to be in that kind of situation. And so that was pretty bad for them. And so God came in and delivered them. Hallelujah. Right? And so God miraculously delivered them through the Red Sea. And when they got through the Red Sea, they were thinking, this is awesome, right? And they did a little jig right there. And Miriam got a tambourine. And she led the Israelites. They were celebrating. What a wonderful time. It's kind of like when your team wins the first game of the NFL season. And they're celebrating and they're dancing. And then they go on to lose eight games after that. Only you don't know that yet. So anyway, uh, they were celebrating, and they continued their journey towards the Super Bowl. I mean, the promised land. 
as they walked through the barren desert, they were dry. They were thirsty. Their animals were dry and thirsty. Their canteens, if they had them, were running out. And all of a sudden, in the distance, they see what to them looked like an oasis of water. Finally, God's leading us. You've got to realize, and we'll look at this here in a minute, that God is leading them. Moses isn't just figuring stuff out. He's following the cloud. The Israelites are following the cloud. There's a cloud over them by day and a fire by night, and they're following that cloud. Oh, praise the Lord. God is bringing us to deliverance. God is going to provide us with what we need. However, as they drew near to it, they soon discovered that it was nothing more uh, to them than a false hope in their mind. They thought it was thirst-quenching, life-giving water, but it turned out to be a bitter-tasting pill instead. You ever figured out how God's going to do stuff in your life, and your mind, and everything starts working out the way you planned in your mind, and then all of a sudden something opens, a door opens just like you thought about, but instead of it going the way you thought it, it went a totally different direction. And then you get mad at God because it didn't work out the way you thought it was supposed to work out, but he never told you it was going to work out that way. You figured it out on your own. And what begins to happen is we begin to gripe and complain. Their reaction symbolizes what we can often find ourselves encumbered by is a bad attitude. In this case, it was the attitude that says, what have you done for me lately? Sure, I, I knew you did the ten plagues. Sure, I know you got us out from the Red Sea. That was great, but that's been three days. What have you done for me lately? Thankfully, we will see that God was bigger than their attitudes. And he was bigger than the circumstances they were facing. He was bigger than the bitter waters they were having to drink at the moment. But before we delve into that, I want us to keep a few foundational ideas in mind that the Israelites had already experienced, but somehow they'd already forgotten. First thing is this, God is good. You can never, never forget foundational to any thinking as a Christian. Remember Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, right? God is a good God. And he loves his people. Psalms 136, verse 1, and then 10 through 12. Even though we're not in uh, uh, the book of uh, Exodus, it's referencing that. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures for a moment, for three days. No, endures forever. To him, and then it goes back and is what he's talking about. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And he brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures. It's kind of like you have to keep reminding yourself that his steadfast love endures forever because he's good. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. I want you to know that God is good. You may be in here today and you may be saying to yourself, no, he's not, because I can tell you all the stuff that happened in my life. Well, at some other point, we'll talk about how there is an enemy who likes to twist and pervert the goodness of God. But today, we're going to stake on the fact that God is good. All right? Not only is God good, I'm going to give you three terms you don't need to know. You don't need to, it just, it's just terms that are used in theology. I heard Doug talking about a theological terms back there in Sunday school, you know, and so I thought, well, I can one-up him on that. 
No, I just happen to have it in there. It's first one is God is omniscient. What does that mean? God is all knowing. He knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. Do you know what I'm going through? Hello, I'm all knowing. Of course I know what you're going through. Exodus 3, 7 through 8. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know what they're going through. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So not only does he know, but in his goodness, he's going to do something about it. Not only is God all-knowing or omniscient, God is also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Exodus 13, 21 through 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And you might say, well, that's wonderful, but what about today? Well, today it's even better. You may not see the pillar of fire. You may not see the cloud by day. But the Bible says, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because that spirit the spirit of God lives inside of us God lives inside of you do you do you see do you know where are you God I'm right here but sometimes you don't feel like he's there sometimes you don't feel like he knows what you're going through sometimes you don't feel like he's good let's just be honest you're not committing blasphemy by, by saying that. It's just, that's, just, that's just our reality sometimes. What we need to recognize is a virtual reality. Because what's true is what God says in his word. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's will is revealed to us so when we go through the storms like a GPS, like an altimeter, like a barometer, like a pressure gauge, like all these things we find in planes and in boats and all these kind of things, they're there to help, help us navigate through the storm without losing our bearings. Knowing the Word of God, knowing what God says, they, they, these truths of God, the, the Word of God revealed to us, are there to help us oftentimes navigate through the storms, the difficulties of life. Amen? So not only is God good, omniscient, and omnipresent, and all this has been revealed to the Israelites already. He's also omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He's, he's all-powerful. Exodus 14, 30 through 31. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And you, you, you know the, the story. They were at the Red Sea. It seemed like they were in trouble. But you forget that the cloud was leading them right where they were at. And there was a sea in front of them. There was a cliff on the left of them, a cliff on the right of them. And God actually coaxed the Egyptian army to come out behind them. We're hemmed in. We're going to die. And it's like God said, oh, if you only knew. And he said, Moses, why are you crying out to me? You lift up your staff. He lifted up his staff, and then the Bible says the wind began to blow. It wasn't Moses blowing the wind. It was God. What great power he's talking about. God uh, pushed back the sea, the ocean and made a way 
for the Israelites. And listen, this was 24 hours. This was all night long, the Bible says. So maybe it had been 12. I don't know. But all I know is all night long it blew. And God was able to push back and hold back the waters for the Israelites to come through. You want to talk about a display of power. That was an incredible display of power from an all-powerful God. And the Israelites had just experienced that. But three days later, what have you done for me lately? As I said before, when we're in the middle of a situation, it's easy to forget who God is and what he has and what he is presently doing for us. And so the Israelites forgot all about this and they moved straight on to grumbling and complaining. Who were they grumbling and complaining to? They were grumbling and complaining to Moses, but ultimately it was against the Lord. Now listen, what I was telling you before is uh, when God delivers you through stuff, you don't always know what he's delivered you from. I was just thinking back from my life. There's a couple things that happened. It just seems like a good place to, to mention it. I, I remember I was, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, I don't know if she was my fiance or not, but my, my, my wife's father-in-law asked me to paint the house. I needed money and he needed his house painted, so it seemed like a good match, Right? For the most part, my father-in-law was a wise man. I don't think he was very wise and asked me to paint the house. <laughs> so I put that ladder on the roof. It was a, a two-story house. Uh, we would call it a one-and-a-half-story house, whatever. had a dormer, uh, you know, at the top, and I was going to paint that dormer. I put that ladder against the house. I'd never dug. I'm sorry, I never had a safety class. And you know what? Come to think of it, you weren't there. I sit that thing, and I said, well, I can't reach, you know. All I had was that ladder, and so I, I got out on that roof. I put one foot on the roof and one foot on the, on the ladder, and ladder said, bye-bye. And you got to realize I'm at the very top of the dormer, and I fell backwards. When I fell backwards, I fell onto a concrete pool deck. And I don't remember how it happened. I don't remember what happened. All I remember is I was sitting on a concrete pool deck, and, and I was okay. I was in a daze, but I've read other, another account where a guy fell backwards while he was painting a window and he busted his head and he went into a coma, died, and God re restored him. But uh, I, I never thought about what God actually delivered me from. And the reality is, I just thought, well, okay, you know, I need to get back on the ladder and paint something else. Another bad idea, because I fell off the ladder again, but this time I was on the ladder and came down. But my point in saying this is I really believe, looking back, that there was an angel that caught me. I didn't think that. I didn't know that. I was not aware of that. It's just looking back, I became many, many, many years, if not decades later, I became aware of the fact that God must have delivered me from something really bad. But even before then, there's three, three, three scenarios. Uh, I should have started with this one. Before I became a Christian, I, was, uh, I really was a good kid. I wasn't saved, but I was a good kid. But it doesn't matter how good you are, you got to be right with God. It's about whether you're righteous, not whether you're good. See, a lot of people think that standing before God, it's going to be on terms of, am I a good person or not? No matter how good you are, you're always going to fall short. It's whether or not you've been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Whether or not He has saved you and redeemed you, forgiven you, and given you a position in, in, in good standing in God's eyes. 
Our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. But anyway, I was going to school. I had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. I didn't like to be late. And so uh, I borrowed my mom's car to go to school. They let me go. And I had to go down this uh, to get there uh, uh, quicker. When you're young, you don't think about uh, safer. You just think about quicker. Right? That's why they developed Nestle's Quick. Older people don't drink that. Younger people drink that because they want to get quicker. Anyway, I'm going down this road, and I had to turn on to Highway 3. Those of you all familiar with Houston. But in order to turn on to Highway 3, I'm coming this way, and i got to turn this way. So I would say that's about a 120-degree turn back, something like that. And there's no light. So, and it's a very busy road. People are traveling 50 miles an hour. And so I look left, look right. This is what I would normally do every day. And I take off. I've done that for, for weeks. I think it's uh, uh, still in uh, September. And so I get to that road this one particular morning. I left right. I look right. I took off. And all of a sudden, my hood was about the same distance from my windshield as, uh, as my windshield wipers. And uh, apparently, somebody had been in my blind spot, and um, I had gotten to a wreck. And what, what I didn't realize at the time, again, I'm just grateful that I'm okay. I go home, walk it out. You know, that's what we do. Walk it off, walk it off. I just walk it off, you know. But when you look back, you think, God must have been there. Because one is, if I'd have been a fraction of a se second earlier, I'd be dead. I would have literally been dead. Because instead of me hitting them, see what had happened, they're going 50 miles an hour, but I hit them. And they went, shh, shh, shh. but if I'd have gone just a, a millisecond sooner, they would have T-boned me at 50 miles an hour, if not more, and I'd have been dead. But then the second miraculous thing, which I wasn't a Christian at the time, didn't give any place for the Lord, but it was a miraculous thing. The second thing that was amazing to me is I remember thinking to myself, and I'm in the middle of Highway 3. Who thinks this way? I don't think this way. Must have been the Lord put this in my heart. I'm in the middle of Highway 3. Somebody else is going to come and hit me. And so I, I, no rational thought, not at all. I just turned on the engine and drove off the side of the road. There's no way that engine should have started. It's impossible. But I wasn't thinking about that back then. I was still in shock from being in a wreck. I just turned it on, went off the side of the road, never started again after that. God was in that. We don't know what God has done for us. We don't know how God has taken care of us and the wonderful beauties of his majesty. And I know, listen, this is very subjective, but I know I've, I've driven this road many times. I used to take the kids to camp, and I'd go up 36, and I needed to go, over th to go up 36. You had to go across the freeway. You know, you, there's things you had to do. Well, I was coming back, and when I was coming back, I'm just driving along, and the next thing you know, I'm in Damon. Thought, how did I get from there to Damon? I didn't cross this road. I, I, just, I didn't know where I was. I didn't recognize my surroundings. And I'm in Damon. I said, how did I get here? I knew I was in Damon because I saw that thing that said go to Brazos Bend Park. You know? How did I get here? I don't know. I have no clue. And I was praying about this the other morning. And I was praying about it. I, 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 I'm, I'm just absolutely convinced that the Lord translated me. Why? Why would God do that? In my mind, it's like, he was protecting me from something that I'll never know. I'll never be aware of. The, all this happened decades ago. Why, why did, did the Lord do this to us? Because he's good. He knows everything. 
See, the thing is, we don't always, uh, we don't always know, we aren't always aware of just how much the Lord intervenes in our life. We just get mad when we are aware of the bad things that happen to us in life. And we've got to change that. We've got to be thankful and grateful. Yes, we want to avoid every problem that we can, but at the same time, when we go through problems, recognize that it's the God that has kept us from many of the problems that is with us in the middle of the problem. He is good, and he will bring us through. All right, let's move on. Second point, Moses' response. Exodus 15, 27. Remember, they're all going through, through it. There's no water. It's bitter. They're mad. They're complaining, and they're complaining to Moses. So what does Moses do? The Bible says he cried to the Lord. That doesn't mean he went, <laughs> no, not what it means. What does it mean? It means he prayed. He cried out to God. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, the Bible says, Ask, and it might be given to you. It will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, it's always important to understand that it is uh, in seeking, asking, knocking for the will of God in your life to be done not for you to have whatever you want, right? And again, the context is to ask and keep on asking because sometimes you've got to pray more than once. Amen? Mark eleven twenty two through 24, Jesus said, have faith in God. What does that look like? Well, actually, it could say, have God-like faith. What does it look like? Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what is a mountain? It is a problem. Any of us ever go through problems? Are the Israelites going through a problem right now? They don't have this New Testament verse, but we do. We live under a better covenant. But anyway, it says here, uh, whoever says to this problem, to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says and continues to say is the context. In other words, don't let the problem overcome you. You learn how to overcome the problem. How do I do that? by believing and trusting in God and by declaring his word. And whatever you ask, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. James 1, 5 through 6. Sometimes the most important thing in, I need in life is not necessarily something or a path, it's direction. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all, not some, not most, not the elite, not the poor, but all, without reproach. In other words, I can't believe you're asking me again. I already told you, two plus two is five. No, he didn't say that. And it will be given him. But let him ask him faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the when? So what I wanted you to see there is that Moses was doing what we've been taught to do. He was calling out to God. And what does the Lord teach us that he will do for us? We see the same thing happening in Moses' life is that God replied to Moses and God showed him how to deal with the problem that was in front of him. Moses' problem was the water, but his bigger problem was the people. But in order to deal with the people, he had to deal with the problem. 
And how do, how do I deal with this problem? The Lord says, uh, the Bible says, the Lord showed him a log. Wow, what kind of log was that? If we could go over in the desert and figure out what kind of log that is, we can heal wells. We can heal, uh, uh, you know, bitter waters. We can heal uh, salty waters. We can heal all sorts of things. I'm just going to give you a clue from the very beginning. It wasn't the log. It was the fact that God showed him. And we'll get into that here in a minute. But anyway, the Lord showed him the answer. He gave him a reply. And, and I have a couple of places in Scripture where people came looking for an answer to their problem. And what they got is they got a reply. They got the Word of God. They got what God's desire was for them to do. But I'll wait till the next point to give you the answer to what happened. Okay, so first one is 2 Kings 5, 9 through 10. The Bible says Naaman, who was uh, 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 one of the captains of the Syrian army, uh, he was full of leprosy. He had heard from a slave girl that had been captured uh, through one of their raids that if he got to Elijah the prophet, he could heal him. He went to the king, asked for permission, brought some money, and uh, he came down to the king of Israel. He said, oh man, you're trying to start a fight with me. You're trying to start a war. He said, no, no, Elijah heard about it, said, send him to me. So so name Elisha. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, "Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." Now, I'll give you a little hint. Naaman didn't take that very well. It's not what he wanted. He didn't want a word from God. He didn't want a scripture verse. He wanted God to do something for him. But what we don't realize is that the Word of God was the key to his problem. Was the key to his healing physically. The key to his healing spiritually. The key to his healing of his marriage. The healing of his body. The healing of his mind. The healing of his relationships. It's all found in the Word of God. So let's hold there and let's go to another one. 1 Kings 17, 13 through 14. Elijah said to a woman, do not fear, go and do as you have said. She was saying, um, uh, he had asked her for food. God had sent him there. And he said, I'm leading you to a widow that I've appointed to take care of you. Only when he got there, he realized God forgot to tell her. She said, he said, go bring me some food. She says, I, 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 if I was going to be honest with you, I'm... I'm just cooking my last meal for me and my child, and we're going to eat it and die. And he said to her, eh, don't worry about it. Don't fear. Go and do as you've said. <laughs> but can you imagine? But first, give me some of your Big Mac. Give me some of your fries. They look really good. He said, make me a little cake of your last bit of flour and oil and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. You know what this widow got? She got a word from God. That's not what I need. I don't need a word from God. I need flour. I'll make you something to eat, but give me some flour. Give me some oil. Don't just give me a promise. But again, we need to realize that the key to her provision is in the Word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Remember what I told you before about Moses? God showed him a tree. Well, in showing him in a tree, he spoke to Moses, this is what I want you to do. It wasn't the tree, it was the word of God. Let's go look at another one. 1 Kings 4, 3 through 4. Um, he said to a woman that, that really was her sons were about to go into slavery. And the debt collector, see, at that time when you had debt, they didn't just, you didn't just call somebody and they just eliminate your debt or you didn't just not pay them and know how consequences were. Oh, my, oh, your credit report's going to go down. Listen, people that are used to spending a lot of money, they don't care about their credit report. Really, there's no repercussions if you go into debt now. There's not. But back then, if you went into debt, they'd come and put you and your children into slavery. Your children first and then you. And she came to Elisha because her husband used to go to school where Elisha taught. He was part of the prophets where he was probably on staff where Elisha taught that, that, that school of the prophets. And she said, it's your fault because my husband was under your care and now look at where we're at. She didn't say that. But you know how many people say, bitter waters, God, it's your fault. That's what they were doing with Moses. Moses, this is your fault. Elisha's in the same place. He tells the woman, Go outside. What do you have in your house? She says, nothing. So he gives her that prophetic stare, and she says, ah, maybe a little bit of oil. And he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels, and when one is full, set it aside. What did she have? Now, she wanted money. What did she get? A word from God. Well, that's not what I need. What I need is money. Well, you know what? A little bit of money might get you through the day, but a word from God can get you through life. Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none. If I did, I could give it to you, but I'd have to face you again tomorrow. But such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. After, he, after the power of God was released into his life, he gave him a word from God that God responded. And what happened? From then on, he didn't need alms. He didn't need anybody to give him money because he, he had now the ability to go work for himself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But all they had is a word from God. I'm saying that facetiously. Last, last scenario. And then we'll, so we'll wrap these up and go back and see what happened. Luke 17 and 12 through 14, Jesus entered a village. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. We'll leave it there for a second. What did they have? A word from God. I don't want a word from God. I want to be clean. I want to be able to hug my wife. I want to be able to have dinner with my family. I want to be able to celebrate Thanksgiving and not be crying out in the streets, Get, stay away from me, I'm a leper. He goes to Jesus, and what does Jesus give him? A word. What good is a word? Well, you read the rest of the story. The Bible says, very short, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words in this translation. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. What did they do? They did what the Word required of them. They enacted what the Word prescribed for them to do. How many of y'all go to a doctor and the doctor tells you to do something and you go home and you say, that doctor don't know nothing. 
I ain't doing what he tells me to do. Now, some of y'all have done that. I can't say that I haven't done that before because, <laughs> you know, but the reality is you're going looking for uh, 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 some help, but then when they tell you what to do, you just said, nah, ain't doing that. Wasting my money there. I could have gone online and WebMD. I could have figured it out on my own. <laughs> and then you go to Google, and, and when you go to Google, it tells you you're a lot worse than what the doctor said. And now you just don't have physical problems. You have emotional and psychological problems because you went to the wrong doctor. <laughs> In all these cases, the people who were seeking an answer, they got one. They got a reply. Equally important is when Jesus told these 10 lepers to go and show themselves to the priest, they didn't just stop and talk about it. They actually did what he asked them to do. And that's the key to what we're talking about today. It's one thing to call out to God. It's another thing to get an answer. But then finally, you got to do something with what God tells you. And that brings us to the, to the last sub-point under this point, which is action. The Bible says that Moses cried to the Lord, God showed him a log, he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. In James 2 and 17, it says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's kind of like dynamite that hasn't been lit. A lot of potential, but no power. How do you release the power in a stick of dynamite? You got to light it. How do you release the power in a word from God? You got to obey. I had, you had me all the way. I didn't realize you were going to be cussing in church. Obey is a, a bad, dirty word. No. It's a biblical word. It's another word for faith. Faith produces obedience. If there's no obedience, then we can really question whether you have faith or not. Right? That's what uh, Paul says in Romans 1 and 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Faith should produce obedience. See, in our culture, it's knowing is equated with faith. Know something, but not necessarily do something with what we know. That's why you have shows like Jeopardy, right? You know a lot of stuff. Well, what are you going to do with that? Nothing other than go on Jeopardy. But the reality is, knowing in the kingdom of God has to be... Do we have an AC? Are the ACs on? Because I'm hot too. I don't know if... What are they on? Oh, they stick them on 70. I'm, I'm hot. Right? Oh, Jerry, the man with the vest. I've been dying to say this. He has a vested interest in that. No, anyway. Okay. So anyway, as we've been trying to show you, without obedience, faith is empty. Going back to the examples from above, we see this in action. In 2 Corinthians 5.13, again, whenever Naaman came and he got a word, uh, his servants, uh, Naaman wasn't happy about it. He said, ah, I could do this at home. Why did I travel all this way to go dip in the Jordan River? There's better rivers than this. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there are better rivers than, than the Brazos River. You go by the Brazos River and say, I don't know, this must be Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's Chocolate River. <laughs> but if you taste it, it ain't. 
there's a lot better rivers. I've seen some rivers in Alaska, beautiful, clear, run. Oh, man, you talk, about, you talk about beautiful rivers, right? So it's not the river, it's the word. And that's what the servants had to convince him. He said, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And so he went down, dipped himself seven times in the dirty, in the dirty brass, I mean in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. How about the woman that had not enough to eat and was asked to make something for Elijah in 1 Kings 17? She went and did as Elijah said. She had gotten the word of the Lord. She obeyed the word of the Lord. And she and her whole household ate for many days. In fact, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You could probably surmise that it went on producing for the next three and three to four years. How about the, the, uh, uh, the woman with the vessels? In 2 Kings 4, 5 through 7, she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, this is, there is no other. And the oil stopped flowing. The only time the oil stopped flowing is when they didn't have anything to pour it into. Right? She had nothing. In her eyes, it was nothing. But then she realized, well, you know, I'm getting that prophetic stare. I better say something. She had a little bit of oil. But now that little oil became a means, not only for her to get out of debt, but also for her to be able to live. So you think sometimes, we think sometimes, I need more than just, I need money. Well, money, well, that's fine. But what you have when you have a word from God is you have something better than money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that brings us to the last point, God's revelation. Exodus 15, 25 to 26, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. See, there's a lot of people today that are trying to do what's right in their eyes. There's a lot of Christians today that are trying to do what is right in their eyes in the name of God. Right? In other words... Yeah, I know that's in the Bible, but it's not my truth. Whose truth is it? If it's not God's truth, it's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Did you know I, got a, I, got a, I didn't get a strike, but actually one of our broadcasts got pulled down the other day because I mentioned something about the vaccine that was not the political, uh, this one's probably going to get pulled down too. Now, I don't care. Because it's not my job to be a politically expedient. My job is to be an ambassador for the kingdom. What does an ambassador do? It declares the will of the government that we serve. And the word of God is very specific about a lot of the issues that we're facing today. We've actually had people leave this church because they didn't like the way we talked about that there's only two genders male and female, and it's not male and male and female and female. It is male and female. Well, that's not the way I am. Well, the way you are is not in agreement with the way you were created. So we don't change the creator and we don't change the owner's manual to go by what you feel, right? 
In fact, what we got to do is we got to go back to what the will of God says, and then we have to learn how to submit and adapt to the will of God. And you may say, well, but, but, but everything around me, my DNA, my genetics, well, I don't know how all that works. All I do know is that we can use the same reasoning in different ways, and it has to be able to work the same. If we tell somebody it's wrong to steal, why is it wrong to steal? Because it's against the law. It's against the will. It's against the word. It's against all these kind of things. Don't we say that? But I have an urge. I have a desire. I was wired this way. I was created this way. Well, you steal, you're going to jail. You're still violating the law, right? So we don't tell people, well, we need to change the law to make it okay to steal. We need to change the law to make it okay to kill. Because, oh, can't believe you're, you're listen, I'm just using logic. That's all. And so what we want to do, though, is we want to change God's word to make it okay for us to be the way we want to be. Listen, you're free to be the way you want to be. Well, nobody's trying to tell you any differently. All we're trying to tell you is that the word of God says that however you want to be is out of line with how he created you. There are not 89, 99, 109, 2009. There's none of that. There's only two. He created us male and female. And by the way, according to the Word of God, God is a protector of innocent life. So let's touch on another subject, right? Abortion is never the will of God. Well, what about the exceptions? You don't make uh, uh, laws based on exceptions. And we're not saying that there can't be exceptions. All we're saying is that God is a protector of innocent life. And so whenever uh, uh, there is a conception in the womb, you have life. And so Christians, and we're not talking to the world, we're talking to the church. Christians should be the protectors of life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, what if somebody gets an abortion? Love them. There's forgiveness with God. But we don't change the truth. We don't change God's truth. It's not our job to make truth. It's our job to declare God's truth. Whether everybody likes it or not is not our concern because it's not adapting to your situation that's going to change you. What if the leper came to Jesus and Jesus just said, well, you know, you were just born that way. We need to change the laws to make it okay for lepers to interact with people. Is that what he said? No. He said, go show yourselves to the priests and you shall be healed. Well, they recognize, hey, the condition that I'm in ain't right. And if I begin to submit myself to the word of the Lord, the word that I've been given, then God can actually change my condition. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're not offering people, uh, whatever condition you may be, whether you had an abortion, whether you, you know, you're currently in a, a, in a bisexual, trisexual, whatever, pansexual relationship, whatever the case may be, whatever identity you're, you're, you're under, we're not offering you no hope. What we're saying is that God is trying to let you know how he created you to be, and then in his word, there is power to help you to be all that he created you to be. Just write this one down. It's, it's probably going down too. It was now after this that God chose to reveal his nature. That is, his character to the Israelites. He showed them that he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, their healer. But that's not all he showed them. 
he also revealed to them the importance of listening to his voice and upon hearing him, the imperative of keeping his word. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it wasn't the tree, as I said before, that healed the waters of Mara. It was the Lord who healed the waters. The key to seeing his healing manifest was that Moses did, he obeyed in faith what God showed him. He heard from God, and he did what God told him to do. In doing so, Moses would see the goodness and the power of God manifest in his life and in the community. In Psalms 1, 1 through 3 is another way of kind of wrapping this around. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law and the instruction of God. And in his law or his instruction, he meditates day and night. And what happens when he begins to meditate on it and begin to apply it? He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. He grows, produces fruit. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not about hearing. It's about doing what you hear. It's about following his prescriptions for life. He said, well, I don't get to do what I want to do. Listen. When you go to school, you don't get to do everything you want to do. If you choose to be a biologist, you can't be a chemist and an artist and a musician and all that if you want to graduate from school. If you choose to be a doctor, you can't be a lawyer and a, uh, uh, you know, and a pilot and a stewardess. Why would you want to be both? I don't know. You can't be all that and be a doctor. Well, I can do a lot of things, but you can't do everything. We know it's inherent in life that once you make a choice to do something, you're choosing to, do, to not do other things. When you choose to follow God and lead the life that he asks you to live, the promises that he says are in store for you are wonderful. But keep your eyes on what he says is there and waiting for you, not on the things that you can't do. Sometimes as we travel through life, we do encounter troubling circumstances. That's how we begin. And difficult situations. In our text, the Israelites walked through the barren desert and were dry and thirsty. As they did, they saw what to them looked like an oasis of water. However, it turned out to be just the opposite. As a result, they began to gripe and complain. Moses, instead of complaining, called out to God. God revealed to them the answer to the dilemma they faced. And when they obeyed, when Moses obeyed God's word, the supernatural life-giving power of God was released to turn their bitter water sweet. You see, it's not simply knowing the word. It's obedience to it that releases God's promise and power into our life. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 7, 24 through 25. And I'm, I'm finishing, by the way. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's not just hearing them, it's hearing them and doing them. Why is that important? Because even Jesus recognized that we're going to go through storms. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall. It didn't fail. Why? Because it was built on the rock. And who is the rock? Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the Word made flesh. What about you? Do you find yourself today in a place that instead of bringing the life, joy, and happiness you thought you would find, instead you found bitter waters instead? Is there an answer 
If so, what is the answer? Unlike the Israelites, the answer is not to drink the bitter waters and be camped out by the bitter waters, griping and complaining and in misery and discouraged and hopeless. The answer is to trust in God by calling out to Him. He has the answer to every problem. How do you know? Because He's good. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. The answer is to trust in God by calling out to Him. And when He speaks to you, to follow through in doing what He prescribes. I can't tell you how many people come to church and respond to the altar and we give them a prescription. Keep coming to church. Read your Bible. Pray. Give. Testify. Not a lot. And we don't see them again. And they don't read their Bible. And they don't pray. And they don't give. And they don't tell anybody about what God has done in their life. And then they'll come back again, maybe a couple weeks later, maybe a year later, maybe two years later. If you hear from them again, some have come from prison and said, I'm going to change my life. And they come to church, they give their life to God. And the next time you hear about them, they went back to prison again. It's not about hearing. It's about doing. I've told you before, stupidest thing I ever did was to follow stupid instructions. I'm being facetious. They told me to go to church. Stupid me, I went to church. They told me to read my Bible. Foolish me, I read my Bible. They told me to tell people about Jesus. Stupid me, told people about Jesus. They told me to uh, pray. Silly me, I prayed. They told me to give. What man, this guy never learns. I gave. And what happened? I have seen my family get saved. My neighborhood get saved. I have seen God deliver me from situations and, 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 and problems in life that had I not had God in my life, I honestly think I, I don't know how I would have made it. I've seen God uh, provide when there was no reason for Him to provide because He's so good. I have seen the anointing of God on my life increase. I've seen people get saved, healed, delivered, and set free, and we will continue to see that even more. So what does following God's Word do for you? It opens up the kingdom of heaven in your life. But it's about just simply going to God, believing God, and doing what God says. It can't be any simpler than that, but why is that so hard for us sometimes? Because there is an enemy, and at some point we'll talk about him, but you've got to keep your eyes not on the enemy, not on the circumstances. You've got to keep your eyes on the gauge, which is his word. And God is good, and he loves you, and he wants to move on your behalf because that's just who he is. As you believe and obey and call on him, he will show you what to do. And as you do that, you will position yourselves to see his power released to change the bitter circumstances you presently face into one which will at some point become sweet. How do you know that? Because Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that word save mean? It means 
made whole. Every dimension of your life. Not just getting a ticket to heaven, but being made whole. Jesus didn't come so you just have a good death. He came for that. But he came that you might have a good life. Thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have a good death. Is that what it says? No. I have come that you may have life. What kind of life? A good life. Life. And life more abundantly. In short, the answer is always Jesus. Jesus.